Captain's log, stardate 748-40.8. Klingons have arrived at Lone Star Station. I have tasked Ensign Katie with serving as the point of contact during the celebration of Klingon culture. Lieutenant Commander David is meanwhile sharing strategic information with Starfleet Command. This episode of These Are the Voyages is dedicated to the Klingon Empire. already a great start this great is, start it's a fantastic sorry y'all so um welcome to this episode of um of these are the voyages i'm the captain i'm captain chase mckinney and uh I, there are a bunch of things that klingons do not do that um eric and i were just listening and kind of sort of talking about and it's quite hilarious and um oh goodness the last one was great. <laughs> what was it? Klingons don't it allow themselves to be probed? Probed, yeah. <laughs> oh, we are off to a great start on an episode about Klingons. Yes, cat, yes we cat, are. Cat's out of the bag now. Well, whew. all right, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. So, um... Um, anyways, I'm the captain, and um, as always, I have my dear friend, my number one, you know him, the man, the legend, not the myth, as we, uh, t- as we discussed in the last episode, Lieutenant Commander Eric. Welcome back, man. How's life in your part of the Alpha Quadrant? Well, life is treating me very well. I think, isn't Kronos in the Beta Quadrant? It is. Yes, I, th- I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's in the the beta quadrant, um, along with uh, Vulcan, if I'm not mistaken, and and Romulus. Mm-hmm. All that area of like the edge of the alpha beta beta thing going on. So, mm-hmm. um, cool. Well, so this is kind of random, but you know, like we talk about you know like what's been going on. Like we do like a little catch up ramble sesh before we start talking about content. Now, I'm not saying that this probably could never happen with, like, your field and, like, teaching math and stuff, but I just love it whenever I can find a textbook on audiobook. Have you ever had that happen to you? No. Because a math textbook on audiobook makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, you never know. I mean, stranger no, things. Have, no stranger sense. things have happened. So. How would I? How would I read the formulas? I, read the equations. Maybe they read. So it I'm just going to read them out loud. No, that doesn't work. I can't. You can't read me a math equation and have me understand it. I have to see it. <laughs> well, there's a uh, um, a class that I'm I'm taking, and it's uh, it's one of my electives, and it's on uh, like business practice basically like it's a private practice business development kind of course 
which is great because I already own my own private practice and this is just like extra tips and stuff like just help you become more business minded basically and uh, it's what's it called building your ideal private practice and um, I mean I, I, I use audible to listen to audiobooks I mean myself and uh, David, you know, we, we listen to audiobooks fairly often. I'm, I don't know if you do as well, but um, with Audible, you know, you can get like, as part of like one of their services, um, one credit a month. So you can choose pretty much whatever book there is in their catalog and just get, it's not really a free book because you're paying for it, but just think of it as a free book, I guess. I guess. I don't know. Um, anyways, I, I sometimes I check to see if any of my textbooks are on audio, and sure enough, this one is. So, your boy got it. That book title sounded like a self-help book, though. How to how to start your own something or other, whatever it was. Building your ideal private yeah. practice. Building a your guide ideal for therapists and other healing professionals. The best-selling classic, now fully revised. Was the audio book? the full audiobook or was it abridged because that's un- a pretty hefty that's a pretty hefty book right there yeah it's it's unabridged it's like a 12 and a half hour audio book so yeah better have some good breaks in it then if it's 12 and a half hours i mean i put it at 1.55 speed so i can get through it like a little bit quicker and so it yeah, seemed I'm, I'm just saying i tried to listen to the the um, Star Wars New Jedi Order, like, audiobooks. Um, and they're they're abridged, and they're, like, three hours long, but there's no breaks. It just, like, goes. It's not, like, end of this chapter and it, or, like, end of part one. It just, like, literally goes for three hours long, and I'm like, I can't listen to this whole thing in one sitting. So it was, like, really <laughs> difficult. Sure, sure. The, um... Uh... I think, you know, when you were here uh, in around like the holidays, I had just finished, I think it was Heir to the Empire. And uh, I had the unabridged version of that. And that sucker, I think, is like 10 or 11 hours. And uh, so I think, I think, you know, whenever you're dealing with abridged or unabridged, you, you know, you the expectation is well we've we've taken out all the fluff of a story so we don't really need to have too many points of demarcation but it's kind of annoying because i mean sometimes i'll read it i'll like i'll, I'll sit in my, my recliner and i'll i'll read a book and then i'll i'll want to like go to a chapter and like listen to the chapter like while i'm driving or while i'm working or something and then go back to the book and that's the thing like with with abridged you can't really do that unless you just have like an eagle eye and you're like looking for like that really weird word that the narrator just said you know Mm -hmm. (sighs) yeah i mean i mean i don't know how long the heir to the empire audiobook was but i listened to battlefield earth the unabridged audiobook you know how big battlefield earth is right oh yeah that's it's like 1200 pages or something like the audiobook was 49 hours two days (laughs) <laughs> like you, you would just turn that on and two days later it would finish <laughs> it was long oh. and like like the main story ended at like the 20 
six hour mark. And it's like, what the hell are they doing for 23 more hours? <laughs> 20, 20, yeah, three more hours or whatever the hell. I don't know if you've ever read Battlefield Earth or any I'm of the not. listeners have, but like, there is like a lot that happens after the main story ends. There's like, spoiler alert, but like, the Galactic Bank shows up to try to repossess Earth because no one's paying the loan on it. And it's like, what? <laughs> that just sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, because, like, the Cyclos, to invade Earth, they had to take out a loan to pay for their invasion of Earth. And once the Cyclos were defeated, no one's paying the bank because the humans don't know about the bank that exists. Okay, so speaking of audiobooks, um, I need to I need to get something off my chest, and then I want to talk about something else, also not Star Trek related. Uh, but I think I was sharing with you, I was telling you know some of my friends here not too long ago, also that um, I, I, I wanted to check out you know the the Jurassic Park uh, books, and um, I'm I mean like all of us we're all busy. Um, especially like being in school and doing all the things that I do. Um, it sometimes it's just, it's really hard just to sit down and like read a book for fun when you're like having to read a book for work in school. So, um, anyways, I got the, the Jurassic park and the, also the lost world, um, books on audiobook again through audible. Well, I got those on audible. Uh, when was that? At least a year ago. I want to say, and I just kind of just had them there. I'm like, I'm going to listen to them eventually. I just, they're there. And I had so much fun listening to the Jurassic park book. Uh, I thought like, I thought it was far superior to the movie. I still like the movie. Um, Jurassic park is still my favorite of the so far five Jurassic park movies, but the book was just so good. I just, I just, I got really excited, like to want to keep listening to it whenever I would stop listening to it, and I think that's like the mark of a good book, as far as I'm concerned. Book or audio book. Yeah, you can't see it, but it's like right there where my finger is. Okay. That's Jurassic Park and the Lost World, right there. The book or the audio book? The the two books, Jurassic Park and the Lost World. They're right at the end of the top shelf. Okay. Because it's it's in alphabetical order, and C. Oh, by author. Yeah. Okay. So, I anyway. So I got oh, and Michael Shab- Michael Shabon is right there. Our nice. By, showrunner uh, your, for for your, your earphone. Yeah, right, right there. There's Michael <laughs> Shabon. I can dig that it. blue one. That blue one. Okay, I see it. You have perfect like finger placement for your bookshelf, <laughs> man. That's a <laughs> well, skill. I, well, I you know it's a good thing that this video is not mirrored because that is annoying. <laughs> Like, we did that live show, and the video was mirrored, and I was like, this just, I hate that. <laughs> I mean, you can mirror it if you want to. No, no, no. <laughs> right so, is right, left is left, not the other way around. So, Like, people that play video games, and they have the inverted controller, I, I can't stand that. Yeah, that was something that annoyed me, like, with um, playing, like, the first-person shooters, like, when we were when we were kids. Like, I just, like, Halo. I just, I hated inverted controls, but that's a different conversation. So, I got the two books, 
right? I got the two books, and I'm like, I'm going to listen to these. Um, I just finished Jurassic Park. Like, I gave myself, like, a few days off. I'm like, I want to now watch the Jurassic Park movie, kind of see how faithful it was or wasn't, and there's a lot that's missing, but that's okay. And uh, so I, I fire up Lost World, and I'm like, man, like, Jurassic Park, this was like a... 11, 12, 13 hour audiobook, and this says it's like five or six. I'm like, what's going on? And like the 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 art on it said unabridged. And I'm like, what is going on? And I went back into the Audible uh, menu store thing, and it it there were two. There was an abridged and an unabridged, and they had the same cover art. Oh. I'm like, I'm like this. This ain't right. This is like super confusing. So I try, like I try to see if I get a refund, but apparently there's a statute of limitations. Yeah, on, it's too long. On yeah, because like I purchased it so long ago, right? And um, anyway, so I just got the the regular unabridged and just took my losses and been listening to it. And um, so far, I mean, I like Lost World. I don't like it as much as Jurassic Park. But it's still a good book. I mean, like, so far I like the story better than I did the movie. But I think that's kind of to be expected with most book-to-movie adaptations. Yeah, I mean, mo- most most books are going to be better than the movie, but that doesn't mean that the movie is necessarily bad. Yeah. Like, cause, I mean, I love the Jurassic Park, the first, the first one, and The Lost World is a pretty, pretty decent movie, too. I don't really care for any of the others after that but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well here we go there we go yeah there was something else I was going to say and it completely slipped my mind so I'll get back to it eventually maybe you'll like, figure it out it'll come back to you yeah we'll be like three hours into this episode and be like oh I remember <laughs> I mean hopefully we're not doing a yeah. three hour long episode hopefully, hopefully we're not that far <laughs> <laughs> that long right <laughs> hopefully we're not that far off the reservation by any means so uh, alright well we are uh, gonna have a wee bit of fun today um, I hope we're gonna have some fun today in terms of what we talk about and uh to kind of lighten the mood on an, an otherwise uh, pretty serious uh, alien species, I'd like to to kind of, like I said, just get us in the mood. So uh, this is for all y'all out there. Hope you enjoy this, just to get us started. Open Klingon style. Klingon style. Kaban Rotan, Ekusa Kablajita. Yuri Dato, Shakala Kuku, Kerbin Bajamau, Nuhosta, Nuki Pomak, Matmachuku, Hamarush, Kalet Hines Koplaje, Kudamarush, Bajapoma Kopla. That's right. Klingon style, Hey, go by hey, 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 h
Eric, I'm pretty sure you've heard this before. Yeah, I think you played it for me once. Open Klingon style. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't James <laughs> Doohan didn't James Doohan like have something to do with the creation of the Klingon language? He did, yeah. He yeah. did. Yeah. I think he was um credited as of contributing like seventy five percent or more of the Klingon language that we we hear in Star Trek, like through all its iterations. And um, That's cool. That yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, like, especially when you think about like Jimmy Doohan and what he did like with Star Trek the animated series, right? Like Yeah, he's only, like all the alien voices, right? All of them. All the voices. And um I think in some cases like he did like some other humans and I think he from time to time even filled in for some of the other like big names um if I'm not mistaken cuz for for whatever reason. But um I could be I could be wrong on that one. That's okay. But yeah, Jimmy Doohan, James Doohan, Scotty, the guy who played the original Scotty, did is, is like stupid talented with oh yeah with with stuff. And um, this is like a little bit of a sidetrack, but there was a um, what was it? I think it was on the Trekkies documentary. Um, if have you seen Trekkies? No. Okay, we got to we got to watch that. Uh, I watched that actually in. It was either English 9, 10, or journalism in high school. Okay. Um, and I only know that because it was Mr. Popovich. It was Mr. one of Mr. Popovich's class that um, we watched that for some reason. And he was a major Star Wars fan, so the fact that we watched Star Trek... Star Wars room, fan? Star, yeah, he was a major Star Wars fan. And the fact that we watched Star Trek in his classroom was kind of weird. Anyway. But... In, in the documentary, I believe it was in the Trekkies documentary, Jimmy Doohan um, gets a letter or finds out about this fan that is wanting to take their own life. And he rings them up. I think he like calls them or writes them a letter saying, hey, this is Jimmy Doohan. Um, just want to let you know I want to see you. I'm going to be in your town for this convention um, this weekend. I want to see you. I want you to come to my booth. I want to talk to you. And that was like, you know, three, four, five months away. And he, anyways, he got a letter back from that same fan that had written to him talking about wanting to take their own life and um, came back saying, like, you saved my life because you actually cared and and all the other stuff that I guess they he did in between. So not only is he, like, talented, but he is just an amazingly compassionate man. Man, so. that's awesome. I love I love stories like that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know, your celebrities sometimes can be dicks, but like sometimes they're really appreciative and good people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um So yeah, like well I, I, you and I we've talked about doing like um like a Scotty centric, like kind of like a definitive Scotty type of episode. So we'll we'll see when we can kind of work that in. But I just I love that story. It's like one of my favorite stories about James Doohan and um, his connection with the fan base. And uh, he's he's no longer with us, um, unfortunately. But um, uh, his uh, I don't know if you knew this, but not too long ago, his ashes 
were um, were sent up into space and they were dispersed in space. So I did hear that, yeah. Which is kind of cool. But um, sorry, we got a little sidetracked, but that's okay. It's a it's a wonderful story about Jimmy doing. If no one's ever heard that before, um, his son uh, Chris, I believe is his name. Um, has reprised his father's role on some fan productions. Um, I believe it was Star. It's Star Trek Continues, if I'm not mistaken, where um, he can be like a dead ringer for his dad, for you know, young Scotty on the um, like the TV Enterprise, like with the TV uniforms and stuff like that. So um, very cool. But for today, um, you know, we we kind of had a little fun listening to Klingon style. And um, you can find that video on YouTube. And um, in fact, I will, um, Eric, don't let me forget to make sure that I post this link in um, our group so people can like watch it themselves if they haven't seen it, haven't heard it, apart from like the clip that we just played. But, uh, you know, we, we, we've talked about shows, we've talked about ships. We've ranked some things in terms of like definitive lists, in terms of brackets, um, and we've kind of just bounced around like with a bunch of different things in terms of what we've talked about. And there was um, a point uh, when you and I, and I think it was, I think David was involved as well, where we all kind of got together and we kind of talked about like what are some things that maybe we'd like to to talk about, and one of which was kind of taken uh, somewhat of a dive into the different species, whether they are founding members or not of um, the Federation, uh, whether they're allies or antagonists, whatever it might be, and just kind of talk about them. Um, you know, this show, this is your first time listening, so our show, it's, it's meant for everyone, right? Like, we are not gatekeepers. We're not people that get on a high horse and say that's not Star Trek you know you can't enjoy that stuff um, we we do our best to give give people of different um, uh, knowledge bases of Trek um, an entry point you know like some of the stuff might be survey information some of it might be a little bit deeper some might be like way crazy conspiracy theory level knowledge type stuff Eric <coughs> <laughs> But um, that being said, this is this shows for everyone. So um, if this is your first time listening, I know that we're you know 20 minutes in thereabouts. But you know, welcome. I'm I'm happy to have you. We're happy to have you here. Um, with the Klingons, we just kind of want to talk today, tonight. The conversation tonight, today, tomorrow, this morning, whenever you're listening to it, right? The conversation um, is just going to be kind of general. We're just going to like let the conversation go wherever the heck it goes in terms of talking about. You know, the culture, you know, the society of Klingons, kind of like who they are, what they do, why they look different from era to era, uh, what the big deal is with the Batleth, um, why they like their food squirming, uh, perhaps, um, maybe some more popular Klingons, uh, more recognizable, maybe not as much, and just kind of see where it goes. So there is a, there is a method to our madness. Um, in terms of what we're talking about, even if it seems kind of disconnected, um, yeah. Eric, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of rambling. Yeah. Well, I, are 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 the Klingons the most well developed alien race in the Star Trek universe? I would I would say so. 
honestly. I think I think so as well. I mean, I think we know much more about the Klingons than we do about the Vulcans. I think we see more Klingons on the show than we do Vulcans. I mean, I know Spock is there all the time every episode. Tuvok is there all the time every episode. But, you know, there's no, there's rarely anybody else other than T'Pol. Don't forget about T'Pol. I love T'Pol. T'Pol's there. But there's rarely anybody else, yeah. right? And I feel like, yes, Worf is there, but then we get a lot of these side character Klingons. You know, Martok, Gowron, Duras, Lursa and Bator, right? We get Kern, and there's a lot of story that is built up and lore around the Klingons, more so than I think there is. And we learn more about the internal politics and internal workings of their society more than we do about any other alien race, as far as I'm concerned. Right, because, like, I mean, if, if we think about it, um, I mean, we're first introduced to, to um, Klingons in, of course, the original series, where they just look like humans with a tan and some like really bushy eyebrows for the most part. And it wasn't until we get to Star Trek the Motion Picture that okay, now we kinda got like the turtle head action going on, you know, that Michael Dorn would joke about like or the other people would joke, you know, Michael Dorn looked like with his tur- with his prosthesis like turtle head. Um, with the ridges and everything. And then it was Star Trek three where we really got like the modern looking Klingon. That's right. That's like, right. With Christopher it's not Lloyd. The mo- it's not the modern-looking Klingon anymore, but... Right. But, like, you know, like, for that With Christopher period, Lloyd, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, Christopher Lloyd was, like, really the one that really made it, like, stick, so to speak, like, with, with Search for Spock in that movie. Um, which I know people that Search for Spock is their absolute favorite Star Trek movie, and I love it's, it for them. It's a really good movie. Super fun. It's different. Um, it's different, yeah. It's, it's definitely different. Um, and it, it definitely looks like first season um, Next Generation, by the way, as far as I'm concerned. Um, well, I mean, well, when, when the movie came out in 1984, they probably like, yeah, you know, Next Generation started in 1987. That's mm-hmm. the same time period. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so with, uh, with the Klingons, though, and um, with, with what you're saying, you know, like, are they the most well-developed, most well-rounded type of characters in Star Trek? And I think, yeah, hands down, they are. We, we don't really know too much about them apart from their enemies. And now all of a sudden we get to uh, the next-gen era. We get to 1987 onward, and now they're kind of our allies. Like, they're kind of like on, they're like on-again, off-again allies. Like, we're in a better place. But between, I think, Next Gen and Deep Space Nine, that's where we get, like, I think the most, the most um, peeling of the onion layers when it comes to the Klingons. I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. No, I would absolutely agree with that. And and this is just one thing I was doing. I was looking through some of, like, the big Klingon episodes. I, I don't know if we're going to get into the episodes, but I was looking through some of the big episodes. And one name kept popping up as a writer for a lot of the big Klingon episodes. And do you know what the name of that writer is that kept popping up all the time? What was that writer? Ronald D. Moore. How about that? Like, I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, I mean, we've talked about Ronald D. Moore a bunch, right? He's an amazing writer. And it's like, damn, he wrote that Klingon episode, that Klingon episode, that. All of, like, (laughs) jeez, man. He did it all. He, He did it all. What didn't you do? He's a great writer. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, look, I guess we let's go ahead and start there. I mean, it sounds like you have have a list um, of some stuff, and um, if you don't recognize them, like right off the bat, you're not alone, okay? Because like, there's like a gazillion episodes of Star Trek, by the way. It's uh, like 800, I think. It's no big deal. It's fine. Yeah. Watched them all last summer. <laughs> not that difficult. <laughs> can watch 800 episodes of of Star Trek but you're not going to touch Doctor Who. I see how it is. Well, I'm waiting for Doctor Who to end cuz eventually I will catch up to it and it will still be going on. Okay. <laughs> right, like cool. Doctor Who just needs to end and I'll watch it. That's like, oh, man. I don't know if the BBC if Eventually will it's got to end. I mean, eventually you're right. I just don't know if the BBC or yeah, I don't know if the BBC will, will allow that to happen. I mean, I mean, I guess they did before in the 80s, but sidetrack. Okay. Sidetrack. Let's get some Klingon episodes. Yeah, let's talk about some Klingon episodes. The first episode where we ever meet the Klingons is in season one of The Next Generation. It's an episode called Errand of Mercy, written by Gene L. Kuhn. You mean original series? That's what I said, wasn't it? You said Next Generation. Oh, yes. Season one of... The original series, TOS, yeah. called Errand of Mercy, written by Gene L. Kuhn. Okay. It's a really good episode. Uh, we're introduced to uh, Kor, who is the, 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 the main Klingon leader, played by, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. I always like to say it Kalishos, but maybe it's Kalikos. I don't know how you pronounce his name, but he would later go on to play um, Gaius Baltar in the original Battlestar Galactica as well. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And then... You know, obviously, Core shows up again in Deep Space Nine in a handful of episodes, right? As a much That's older right. Klingon. That's right. <clears throat> it's a good episode, and they like it takes place on the planet of Organia, and they always like, like, Core, tell us about your your encounter with Kirk on Organia. Like, tell us that tale. Sing us the song about your <laughs> epic battle with Kirk on Organia. <laughs> And uh, uh, let's see, I don't know if we're like we're looking at the same list or not, but um, I have also Friday's Child and Trouble with Tribbles, as yeah. also um, some other Klingon-centric episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trouble with Tribbles, obviously classic episode, right? Yeah, that's the one where the balls of fur. Hold on, hold it. Oh, oh, you have a tribble. I have a tribble. You see that? Yep, and and we we in that episode we meet Koloth, right? Um, I have no idea what the actor's name is who plays Koloth, but he was also the same actor who played Trelane in the Squire of Gothos. Oh, how about that? Mm-hmm. Forgot then, about that. <clears throat> Koloth also comes back in a Deep Space Nine episode later on called Blood Oath, where he like breaks into breaks into Odo's security office, and Odo's like. How did you get in here? And he goes, I am Koloth. That doesn't answer my question. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so just just a quick little aside. Not about the Klingons, but you, you um, uh, with Trillane. So um, the, there was a comic book that I read recently, um, I say recently, like about a year or so ago, uh, called The Q Conflict. It's like a four or five issue series. And they get all these like cosmic type entities, right, to to 
put the, the these different crews up against each other to do some things. And um, Q's in it, obviously the Q conflict. Um, Trelane's in it, and uh, like one or two others. And there's like different teams. So um, if you're not too sure who we're talking about, of course you can check out the episodes that we're, we're listing, but you can also check them out in the Q conflict comic book. That's all I just want to say. Yeah, and then I would say the other the other you mentioned Friday's Child. That's an episode that yeah the Klingons are in. But I think the other big episode is called Day of the Dove. It's a season three episode from the original mm-hmm. series, where we were introduced to Kang, right? The other of our three major like Dahar masters, right? Kang, Koloth, and Kor. And Kang is played by Michael Ansara, who, if you don't recognize that name, as soon as you hear his voice, you know who he is because he has the most amazing voice ever okay okay right you know the voice i've heard it yeah yeah it's pretty amazing you know michael and sarah you know he's a actor who's been in a lot of things um played several different roles in star trek throughout the years um one that comes to mind is uh there's an episode where Luaxana Troy shows up on Deep Space Nine pregnant and Michael Ansara plays her husband or the father of that child. He's in that that's I don't know what oh. episode name that name that is or what the character's name is, but okay. like Odo has to profess his love for Luaxana. What's up with Luaxana getting these men to like profess their love for her like publicly everywhere she goes? She's an alluring woman. That's one way of putting it, yes. <laughs> we're not doing an, an ep- I don't. I say that. I say we're not going to do an episode on the walks on it, but just give us time. We probably will. Because mm-hmm. why not? Yeah. And then and then I guess to me, the other, if we're just doing original series right now, I, we got those three episodes, like Aaron of Mercy, Trouble with Tribbles, Day of the Dove. And then obviously for the original series crew, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, right? Which is the culmination of the entire story of Kirk and the Klingons that has built up since that first time we ever saw them mm-hmm. in Errand of Mercy. And the payoff is amazing. Oh, I remember the thing that I was going to say, because you've mentioned Star Trek VI. Thanks a lot, dude. I was, gonna, I was just going to rant a little bit. Not rant, but just talk about how weird Tron was. But we're not, we're not in that part of our show anymore so i can't do it but no. david david warner's in both of them so that's that's the connection so thanks david warner david warner is another one of those those great actors who shows up all the time in things and mm-hmm. he, yeah he plays chant the chancellor chancellor gorkon who you know i won't say what happens to chancellor gorkon in case you haven't seen the movie but you know it's basically you know stuff happens Stuff happens in that movie. Christopher Christopher Plummer is in that movie as General Chang, like the bald Klingon with the eye patch, which is mm-hmm. awesome. And he's, he's quoting Shakespeare. You haven't experienced Shakespeare until you've heard it in the original Klingon. <laughs> hey, hey, there's a lot of bloodshed in Shakespeare. That's right. There's a lot of bloodshed in Shakespeare. That's right. That's right. Right? Some, some King Lear, some Macbeth. Okay. I mean, let's, let's it doesn't we, surprise me that Klingons like Shakespeare. Let's okay. Let, let's just go there for a second. Let's just be like weird conspiracy theorists, nuts, for just a second. Let's go to that level for a second. All right, let's do it. Do you think, in a world, okay, do you think that 
um, that Shakespeare was a Klingon. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Klingon first society contact, first is very old. Reconnaissance, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah hey. You know, maybe, right? I mean, what if? What? Or, if? or at least, or at least, there's a there's that theory out there that Shakespeare didn't actually write the works of Shakespeare. So maybe Shakespeare was a human, but he heard the stories from an alien visitor, right? Right. Okay. So we're going. We're about to go deep. That's tinfoil hat. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Of, <clears throat> of the Shakespeare plays. Okay, I'm beaming the answer to your head right now. Okay. okay. You ready for this? Yes. The most Klingon, the most Klingon Shakespeare tragedy. Go. I mean, to me it would be Macbeth, I think, because you have somebody murdering his way to, to the top. I don't know being pursued being pressured by like the ambitious lady Macbeth but maybe that's not what you're thinking of man there's been a transporter malfunction oh man but what were you gonna say Titus Andronicus okay all right all that's right. some bloody awful yeah yeah like war like military honor storytelling okay right that's there. a better answer yeah that's just Titus Andronicus is not one that I've like read a bunch right i think i've read it once so i don't doesn't like come to mind as much as something like Macbeth does okay so by the way if anyone has never read titus andronicus and you're listening to the sound of my voice right now it's not one that you probably read in one sitting it's like <laughs> it's an it's a sampler Okay, like you really only just want to take like maybe a bite at a time because there's a lot of stuff that happens in there. So it's a tragedy. It's not a comedy. Not everyone gets married at the end of the story, by the way. Not everyone laughs it off. Oh, what a jolly time that was. <laughs> oh, what a jolly time <laughs> that was. <laughs> so... <laughs> anyway... If you do read that or Macbeth, just approach it with caution. They're both good. Like, but I'm I'm also weird. Like, I really appreciate Shakespeare. I, I really like reading Shakespeare. I have his complete works on my bookshelf in the living room right now. Um, but Tysandronicus is definitely a very bloody one. I just it seems the most Klingon to me. But I can 100 percent, 100 percent, get I get where you're coming from with Macbeth being that Klingon story. So anyways. Anyway. Christopher Plummer, quoting Shakespeare, and also Hitler, by the way. No, I wasn't it wasn't it Kirk that quoted Hitler? Oh well Kirk mentioned Hitler, yeah. 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 Yeah, okay, yeah. Yep. We need breathing room, is what they say. Yeah. Hitler, nineteen thirty eight. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's right. So you had mentioned, okay, so in terms of like those main stories, right, if we're looking at the original crew, mm -hmm. um, we, we, we kind of mentioned it uh, in passing to an extent with, uh, with uh, Star Trek Three: Search for Spock, uh, Christopher Lloyd. Um, maybe not, maybe it's not like a mainstay, but like 
I think there's some significance with that. I mean, especially like with like the turtle head design and it really feeds like a lot of the the pain, the anguish, the vengeance that Kirk has uh, that carries him through all the way to um, to Star Trek Six, right? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, maybe some some other consideration for viewing too. I mean, it's it's different. I mean, it's it's one of the odd number ones. I, I don't discount odd numbered movies. Um, I mean, they've all grown on me a little bit with time, but. Uh, Christopher Lloyd's in it, so if you're a Christopher Lloyd fan, definitely check it out. Yeah, I completely derailed you, dude. Sorry. No, no, you didn't. No, you did not. I did not. Okay. I although I will say, like, I mean, I think Star Trek Three is responsible for the the modernization or the updated look of of the Klingons, right? I mean, the Klingons have changed a lot in their look over time. Right. I made I made sure to look this up and in that original script that written by Gene L. Kuhn, the Errand of Mercy, he describes the look of the Klingons as oriental and hard faced. And like they were definitely supposed to be like the Asians, right? At that time we were you know, you were thinking we were we were just we were just getting out of the you know mm-hmm. the Korean War had just happened the decade before we were we were moving into Vietnam and so I think that the Klingons were supposed to take on that that you know that was who they were supposed to represent is the Asians are like the new emerging threat out there mm-hmm. <clears throat> and like if you look back on it, it's almost a little racist. I think that there are some things that, you know, when as progressive as Star Trek is, there are some things when you look back and you're like, ooh, ooh. You know, because it was basically like a bunch of white actors with like shoe polish on their face and thin mustaches and mm-hmm. trying to be Asian with air quotes. Mm-hmm. There's... Um- and, and, and I think a lot, but also a lot of that has to do with budget, right? Like, Star Trek today has a massive budget, right? And we think of it as a huge production. Absolutely. Star Trek, the original series, was not. Like, I don't think all people realize that. Like, hey, they really couldn't do a lot of things in the original series. So, you know, you got, you know, you have a lot of alien races that look similar because they just didn't have the budget to make them. Mm-hmm. And so now when you're getting into the movies and you have a big increased budget, you can do a lot more things. And that's where Star Trek three came along. We got, you know, the really pronounced cranial ridges, the, the snaggly teeth, the, the, I think the first time we ever see like what we come to associate as like, the Klingon uniform, I think, as we see it in Star Trek Three for the first time, you know, it's almost like a inspired by like a samurai outfit, and then all of like the red, the red glow from inside the ship that we're so familiar with. All of that came from Star Trek Three. There's, uh, there was someone that uh, from from our Star Trek family, uh, I say Star Trek family, but uh, someone that. Uh, maybe people know know his name. Maybe they don't. And that's okay. But uh, Robert Fletcher. I don't know if you've heard the name, Eric. Uh, but anyways, Robert Fletcher was essentially in charge of 
of redesigning all the things. Um, he, and uh, Vulcans, Klingons, and the Monster Maroon, remembering Star Trek designer Robert Fletcher. So Robert Fletcher, um, he designed the Monster Maroons. He was charged with redesigning the Klingons uh, for both motion picture for Wrath of Khan and including Search for Spock. So I just want to read a little bit about him uh, for a second. Um, so, I mean, apart from like the, not only did he create the uniforms, but all like the little, you know, the tchotchkes that go with it, essentially, like the different rank designations, like the pips and the squeaks to denote service in Starfleet, um, the, the, the um, security clearance button that goes on the back of your, um, your rank board uh, for the Monster Maroons. Uh, here we go. Let me see if my computer will not. Okay. So this is um, an article from heavy.com. And uh, this is specifically on the Klingons. And there's there's more out there on Robert Fletcher. I just want to read just a little bit of this since we're talking about the design of the Klingons. So though the monster maroons last until Star Trek Generations, Fletcher's designs lasted well, be well beyond the films. The look of the Klingons that he created went into TNG, Deep Space Nine, and other series. Fletcher was charged with updating and redesigning the Klingons for the motion picture. The species appeared in the original series, but their costumes and makeup were not quite alien-looking. Uh, as reported by Memory Alpha, the look was somewhat designed based on the appearance of Genghis Khan. The version of the Klingons known today was based in part on Fletcher's idea, um, or at least what was termed a hairy lobster, is what they went with. <laughs> um, so check this out. I was really thinking of lobsters, Fletcher said on the Captain Logan show in 2017. A lobster has this skeleton on the outside, so the logic is that you pursue that um, to a civilization that derives from people with their skeletons on the outside. It's kind of interesting. A hairy lobster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and and that look carried on. I know I don't know when that article was written, but it said, you know, the modern or the current look. And obviously that has changed. But, like, you know, almost every alien species, the look of it has changed over time. Right? I mm -hmm. mean, it just updates over time. And that's bound to happen, especially with budgetary issues taken into account. And, mm -hmm. you know, we had a long, stable period of this is what Klingons look like. You know, the next, the next generation, D Space Nine, Voyager, and then going back to Enterprise. Like, this is what Klingons looked like. And then, you know, the J.J. Abrams came along and they looked a little bit different. Right? And then, you know, Discovery came along and they looked a lot different, right? But I really enjoyed in Enterprise how they actually tried to come up with some in-universe reason for why the Klingons look different, right? I mean, there's that episode, you know, The Trouble with Tribbles, right, where we go back in Trials and Tribulations, right? right? And we go back in time and, and Worf goes... Well, there's Klingons over there. There was like, where? Where are the Klingons? Well, they're right there. It's like, those aren't those are Klingons. What, what's, what's wrong with them? What do they look like? We don't, we don't talk, talk about, about it. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, and like that was like kind of like a meta commentary. We don't talk about it. Yes, they look different now, and that's just what it is. 
but I, I actually was really happy with the answer we got in in Enterprise. What what were you happy with that answer? Did you like it? Did you not? Did you think it made sense? So at the okay, so let me let me say this. Um, yes, I liked it. I was confused by it at first because I hadn't see I, at that point I hadn't gotten to original series, so I hadn't really mm. understood what the big deal was. Okay. Um, I mean, apart from like, of course, the clip that I the you know like the the stock stuff you know that they pulled for the 30th anniversary episode you know with trials and tribulations um but like it just didn't hit hit me because i hadn't seen original series but i thought it was very clever um how they how they pulled that off and still honored it you know the the intellectual pursuit like the smart like not writing off the fans that actually think about this stuff so yeah Mm -hmm. i liked it it's a long-winded circumstantial response but yes i did yeah i liked it so, um, and and listen, if we're just we'll just finish up this look conversation, yeah. and I'll just mention Discovery with our space vampires, Kling orcs, whatever you want to call them. Like, I understand the new show wanting to to redesign its aliens in a certain way, right? I mean, look at the Andorians. The Andorians look slightly different in Discovery. They have like eyebrow wedges i don't know what to call them they're they're not eyebrows but right up like right here above their eyebrows there's like wedges and tellerites have tusks now and and right aliens look different right but those are minor differences and i just think discovery's difference is very radical so much so that in the first trailer that i ever saw for discovery when we saw one of these things i was like ooh new alien race and then you hear michelle yo go inform starfleet we've engaged the klingons and i was like klingons klingons i didn't see no klingons (laughs) and so So, somebody like me who's like a super fan doesn't even recognize that this is supposed to be the klingons I, i understand wanting to create your own look and change things up but it was very drastic so i read something I'm not okay. Let me just preface this by saying, I'm not letting them completely off the hook, but I can at least I'm starting to appreciate, maybe respect the the decision that they took with the Klingons, the, the Klingons. Sorry, um, and that is <laughs> gotta break that habit apparently. <laughs> so. Uh, I read it. Okay, so Eric, I read this. Uh, I think it was this article. Or I was listening to um, like an interview, like on YouTube or something, um, not too long ago. I'd say probably in the last month, maybe. Uh, anyway, the uh, they're the creators. Uh, we we can say what we want about them. We can have our own opinions of them, and that's fine. Uh, the so uh, what was it? Was it Akiva Goldsman or was it, oh shoot, who was it? Anyways, one of them, um, along with with um, Kurtzman, they, when they were prepping for season one, this is how the story goes at least, um, that they wanted, you know, like Takuvma, Laurel, and like our band of Mary Klingons for the show, they wanted them to look different um, in the sense that they've been separated 
from like they've been like deep space faring Klingons for generations to the point where they've been so far removed from their own Klingon society that's what's caused them or that's why they do look so different is because they've been separated from their society for so long on their own like generational ship or however the heck they okay. explain it in the interview which I'm I, I'm kind of okay I get with. that I get that but then why do all the other Klingons from the home world look exactly like them and that's and that's my problem and that's my problem also but you know kind of hearing that like kind of reiterated I'm a, like I'm a little bit more okay with it but it doesn't ex- it doesn't wipe the slate clean either mm-hmm. so but anyways if you like discovery keep on enjoying discovery um, but okay, so one more thing about Robert Fletcher. So not only did he, you know, redesign, you know, keep adding to the Klingon look in Motion Picture, Wrath, and Surge, but um, he also was in charge of like developing the the Klingon, you know, uniforming, the Klingon costuming and stuff too. Like, which, you know, we we I think we really see it in earnest. Uh, I think the most in search for Spock. Uh, and that's what looks the most like what we see in the future TV shows. Uh, like I just think of, of uh, Christopher Lloyd's um, costume that he wears in search for Spock mm-hmm. and like the long flowy, like cotton cloak thing, whatever that mm-hmm. is like with yep. like the different Klingon pins and, and mm-hmm. chachkis and, like- and He's got emblems. boots that have the, the, the spikes of the boots that have the raptor claw, I like to call them. Mm-hmm. Going back to Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And I think I think yeah. Star Trek 3 is also the first time we see the, the um, oh my god, I'm drawing a blank, the Doctar, the Doctar, their, their knife, right? Mm-hmm. With the little two things on the side that spin out, right? Right. Like the Klingon switchblade, basically, is what yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. The Klingon little pocket knife. Yeah. Pocket knife, switchblade, whatever yeah. you want to... Yeah. yeah. Bowie hunting knife, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The Doctar. Yeah. So, with... We've, we've, <laughs> talked, we've talked extensively about the look. We've talked about, like, maybe some of the, the core... Uh, what is it? Episodes and, and things of that nature. Uh, these these are this is a warrior society. This is a, a, a society, a culture that is based so much on the importance of honor. And you know we we talk about uh, how uh, like you and I have joked about, and I'm sure I've joked about it with other folks too. Like uh, with Worf, like he's the grumpiest Klingon out there. Uh, Klingons are are very uh, boisterous, very um, uh, social butterflies. For life. They have such a zest for life. There's like they're singing, and they're deeply spiritual people too. I'm sure there's others that aren't because it's just a society, but like such of an importance on Stovacor and yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I, the the Klingons. I don't, I don't, I don't really feel like they're they're spiritual. They because if you if you hear the story, the the Klingon gods are dead, 
murdered by Kling, murdered Klingons because they were they were more trouble than they were worth. But it's almost like they deified Kalos, and it's like Kalos is the person that they worship, and all of their their spiritual um, stuff. I don't know a better word. Spiritual stuff is built around like idolizing Kalos and and trying to emulate how Kalos lived and how in just be more like Kalos. I think whether we talk about um, like the spirituality, I mean, the spirituality I think can be like one thing, for example, like, um, you know, like with, with Stovacor is, is essentially like the Klingon version of, of heaven. And, yeah, and, um, and it's funny in, in Klingon heaven, warriors go there and engage and meet Kalos and engage in eternal battle against their enemies. And that's Klingon heaven. Yeah. A perpetual battle where you can defeat your enemies nonstop over and over again, and <laughs> you will never lose. I'm trying to find. I had it here just a second ago. Anyway, um, yeah, like so. It, you, it, the the thing that they're they're wanting the most is to die in battle because, like, that will guarantee them going to Stovacor, and they would rather die a cripple or I'm sorry die in battle than die a cripple because if they um, died with any kind of crippling injury or with any kind of cowardice they go to I'm, I'm totally missing it maybe you have it um, yeah, Grethor thank you uh, which is basically Klingon hell but um, and I think we see this with um, with Jadzia uh, Worf and Jadzia where it's important that to Worf that Jadzia understand like the culture and the importance um, in the event that she has to do something to grant passage for Worf to get from Grethor to Stovacor. Um, mm. they're v- apart from that though like we see throughout a lot of the shows and the movies I believe the the role of ritual like how important rituals are for the for Klingons and their society, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I was saying I don't think they're spiritual, but they're definitely very ritualistic, and rituals play a l- big part in Klingon society. I mean, Worf mentions there's so many rituals that like they have to do, and and I mean, and then Jadzia because she's gonna marry Worf and join the House of Martok, even, and she has to go through all of these rituals, right, and. There's a lot of lot of stuff. I mean, I think maybe my favorite ritual is uh, the death ritual, right? So mm-hmm. you want to get into Stovacor. That's like the ultimate goal for any Klingon warriors to get into Stovacor, where you can engage in an inter- eternal battle against your enemies, right? Right. And so <laughs> if you die a death that grants you know in battle, you know victorious, or you do some heroic deed, you know you you die. And the other warriors that are present, they open up your eyes and then they yell super loud up to the heavens and they're like trying to scare everyone in Stovacor and as a warning that this warrior who has just died in battle or done something heroic is now coming and you better be afraid. Mm -hmm. I love that death ritual. (laughs) um, I was just... Maybe this is um, an appropriate time to kind of bring it up since we're talking about, um, you know, like 
death and rituals and things like that. But um, you know, song is something that also plays a major role in both rituals and just general Klingon life. And uh, there are different Klingon songs. There's a lot. There's Klingon opera too. But um, here's a little sample of um, a Klingon song. I hope you can still hear this, Eric. I less poop, Lord. I poop back Y'all get the idea. Yeah, they sing that before they go into battle as like a tribute to Kalis and say, "Hey, we are gonna, we're gonna fight and win this battle." Mm-hmm. This that I think that particular one uh, where the female Klingon started singing just then, uh, that was from a Deep Space Nine episode, I believe. Where um, you're gonna have to help me out on this one. It was um, an older Klingon, I believe, that went in the place of Worf. Uh, it was like supposed to be like certain death. Um, no, I think this. I I think you're thinking of a different episode. Am I thinking of a different episode? Yeah. So that episode that you're thinking of is called "Once More into the Breach." That's yeah. Right? That is the one I was thinking of. Yeah. And that's 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 the last episode appearance of Core, right? You know. Core, the first ever Klingon commander we see in the original series, is now an old, basically an old man with dementia, and there's a, the Dominion War is going on, and he's like, I'm a great warrior. How do I have no place in this war? Is there no more glory for me to be had? And so now he gets this chance to go one last, one last glory where he can sacrifice himself in a heroic deed and guarantee his place in Stovacor. There, yeah, that was the one I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Thank you. But I, I think the episode where that song comes from is, um, and hold on, one, hold on one second before I uh, think about that. Once more into the breach, written by Ronald, Ronald D. Moore. D. Moore. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think the episode that where that song comes from is called Soldiers of the Empire, which is in season five, and it's the one where Martok is given his first command after he's freed from the. Martok is given his first command, right? But he's, like, gun-shy. And so the crew is about ready to mutiny, and Worf is trying to, like, encourage them to sing the song. And eventually, you know, Martok is no longer gun-shy, and they have a glorious victory. Mm -hmm. And Soldiers of the Empire, written by whom? Hold on, hold on. Ronald D. Moore. Yes. Yep. There's that name. <laughs> all these, all those episodes. It's it's like he it's like he gets it or something. I don't. He I does. Don't know. He gets it. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I, I I mean that that song has been sung. The one that you know that clip that I just played has been sung a few times 
um, in in the series. So different different series. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like very very um, ri- ritualistic or de- definitely very ritualistic to an extent, spiritual in a, in a way. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. not the same way we would typically see it, like here on Earth or with other species that we've met in the Star Trek, um, you know, series or anything like that. But I, I see it. I think I see it more than anything else. I think by virtue of the fact that the Klingons are so very well developed, right? As as an alien species. Yeah. More than more than anyone else, and I think it's it's partly Ronald D. Moore that we can blame for that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when you have one guy who's writing all of these things, you know, it's not like it was the story and this society was tried to be pieced together by several different people. It was, you know, one guy who was writing all of, like they like set him aside and said, "Okay, you're gonna write the Klingon episodes. Go for it." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I guess I guess there's one more ritual that I want to talk about that I think it's it's brought up, you know, because we're talking about Klingons. They're very spiritual, very ritualistic. Yeah. I think the other ritual, I don't know the name of it, but it's essentially the suicide ritual, right? Okay. I mean, we see, I think we see it in two episodes here, where like there's a there's a TNG episode where Worf Ethics. gets paralyzed, right? Ethics, I believe, right? Ethics, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good Doctor Crusher episode too, yeah. right? It's it's more, it's actually more of a Crusher episode than it is a Worf episode because he's just kind of lying on a hospital bed the entire time. The but, the Hegbot. The Hegbot. Yep. Okay. I'm pr- totally pronouncing that probably wrong, but yeah, anyway. probably like Hegbot. Yeah. <laughs> Get some phlegm in your throat. Yeah. But yeah, so like if a warrior can no longer fight in battle, then his closest relative or his, the oldest son or a close friend is supposed to help him commit ritual suicide and that like is seen as honorable and can get him into Stovacor because he can no longer fight and then Worf asks Alexander his young son to basically kill him and you can imagine how that went over right? if you know anything about Alexander right right well he didn't even <laughs> ask I don't think he even asked Alexander at first he asked Riker no I think he asked Alexander first, and Alexander said no, and then he asked Riker. Is Maybe I'm getting that wrong. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. Maybe the other way around. I just remember, um, I just remember Riker making a big to do, like, no, I'm not gonna kill you. You're being a coward, and like being completely dismissive of of Worf's, you know, Klingon culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like, I'm not saying that Alexander is the same age as us. But he is. I mean, he was, he's probably like three or four years older than we were, right? Whenever like these episodes were premiering back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, ni- it, this premiered in 1987. We were born in 1987 for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think that was, um, gosh, that was probably like, well, like season three or four episode. I, that might've been four or five, somewhere around there. Okay, so like we're we're talking like somewhere between like what nineteen ninety and nineteen ninety two, so like mm-hmm. we were like three or five years old when this came out. We're we're totally totally dishing out on our age right now. So mm-hmm. Al- Alexander's like eight, 
We're asking an eight-year-old to kill his dad. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> Stuff. Especially an eight-year-old who a, a Klingon who has shown no interest in being a warrior up until that point. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I mean, then again, you see the um, the same ritual uh, later on. Kern, Worf's brother, comes to Worf and says, "You know, I want you to kill me. I want you to commit this ritual suicide because I have no place in Klingon society because of you." You and your honor. Like, Worf was so worried about his honor that he didn't even think about Kern's honor and how Kern would be dishonored because of the choices Worf made, which, you know... This is, that's the, I have a problem with the Klingon honor, right? Like, Galron says, Worf, you won't, er, you won't do exactly what I want, which means you have no honor. But Worf's like, no, I'm the one with honor. You have no honor. And, and the it's whole like, honor. It's like the word honor almost has no meaning. Like the whole society is supposed to be built upon people being honorable, but as soon as you disagree with somebody, you have no honor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we're I mean, if we're talking about like this era of Star Trek, you know, where where Worf is like the poster boy for Klingon, you know, like he's he's our entrance into Klingon society. I think we're supposed to see Worf as the most honorable of Klingons, mm-hmm. you know, by virtue of him being like a main character. Um, but like right after him, I would probably go with Martok. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of the the storyline around Worf and the things that he did, it, it tried to. And you know, at this point in D Space Nine, I think we're in season four of D Space Nine which is the first season Worf was on D-Space Nine. Mm-hmm. But we, you we know, have we the had, Warrior, part one and two. Yeah, but we had all seven seasons of him in The Next Generation and Generations the movie, which he really didn't have anything to do in that movie. But that's, you know, we had that conversation before. Um, so I think we've just had so much storyline of Worf, and we've seen a lot of the choices that he has made, and we have come to see him as doing the honorable thing, right? I mean, there's... I, the we I mean okay listen spoiler free I don't know spoiler free we see, we saw the decision that he made you know in the next generation to accept discommendation or dishonor right he, you know he willingly accepted dishonor to save the empire essentially. save the empire in air quotes right because of other people who who acted dishonorably and so. We, we have built up this time of seeing Worf as the big, honorable character. Yeah. You know, with, with the complexity of honor and what it means to be Klingon, I do have um, another clip that I would like to highlight, and this is from uh, Deep Space Nine, actually. We've been talking about I know we have some folks out there that love Deep Space Nine. That's your jam. Here's a little... I'm, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. You, I know you're one of them, yeah. Here's um, here's a little sampling of, um, you know, kind of what it means or how to be Klingon. Here we go. We shall start with you. I am waiting. I don't understand. I am not interested in excuses. Are you a Klingon warrior or an Alvarian dung beetle? 
I really don't see the point. Do not look away from me. I called you a dumb beetle. I heard you. And what is your response? You should have your eyes examined. It is not enough to look like a Klingon. One must act like one. Perhaps it is better if I went... Ah! Are you questioning the validity of my plan? Very convincing, Captain. But was it your intention to challenge me to a battle to the death? No, not at all. The next time, do not strike me with the back of your hand. Use your fist. Yeah. So... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. It's just like at one point, um, uh, Worf goes up to O'Brien. He's like, why do you stand so far away from me when you talk? A true Klingon gets up in the face of another. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I, I read somewhere that like um, when Michael Dorn and and Robert Riley, right, would who played Galron, they would they would have their 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 scenes together. And man, I love Galron. Like I, Galron is amazing. As like, I mean, Galron's in what ten episodes, twelve episodes combined. But it feels like somewhere so around much there. more than that. He is a great little side character, and I don't—he's not even a little character. But his first few episodes is in. He's amazing. But anyway, Robert Robert Riley was like, whenever somebody new would come on to the show to play a Klingon, he was like, "Listen, here's how you play a Klingon. Just go all the way. You know, like." to to say um tropic thunder go full retard right i'm sorry if that's offensive to people but like he he's basically like saying just go for it do it all no hesitation yeah yeah what happened i don't know that's okay i don't, I don't know what just happened I got some trouble with trebles, apparently. Yeah, he was like, just go for it. Deliver your lines. Go for it. Go all the way. No hesitation. Don't hold back. And apparently, the scenes between Worf and Gowron got, like, so intense. They were like, like, remember that Friends episode where that guy's, like, spitting on Joey's face? And he's like, why are you spitting on my face? <laughs> and then they're, like, <laughs> like, they're just, like, getting into it. And, like, they have to wipe the sweat off everybody's face the spit off everybody's face well apparently that's what it was like all the time between Worf and Galron or Michael Dorn and Robert Riley they would just like have spit covered all over their faces after every encounter they had because they were just like super close to each other and just like full on into it how about that that's a little interesting Uh, trivia fact there so for for people that were just listening to that clip right like that was from apocalypse rising season five ep- um, episode of deep space nine um the you y'all couldn't see it unless of course you've watched the episode but um the we had um odo we had um o'brien and cisco i believe were the main three that were all in they went through like the the surgery like a surgical you know prosthesis or whatever to be disguised as klingons because they're about to go do some some stuff, and um, Worf is trying just to get like teach him like real quick like crash course and how to be a Klingon and not be, you know, caught or whatever seen as a fraud right away. So that's what that was all about. Like it's not enough just to, you know, fight 
and be aggressive, there's like ver there are all these subtleties to being a Klingon as well, which that's everyone basically. There's yeah. Yep. Man oh man. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface on Klingons, if I'm being completely honest. I mean, there's so much to talk about. We should talk about Kalis. We've mentioned Kalis, but we should talk a little bit more about Kalis. Okay, you go ahead and let's get the conversation going with him, and then there's just, like, some, uh, I don't know, like, other, like, dumb little things that I just want to bring up. So, go ahead. Let's get it. Well, I mean... Kalis the Unforgettable, right? That's his name. It's, you should always say Kalis the Unforgettable. He, you know, he formed Klingon society by defeating the tyrant Molar in the ninth century, and he became the emperor. He, he forged the 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 Klingon Empire. He, he ruled it for a long time, and apparently, he was not just a great warrior, but he was an amazing politician as well. And so, like, Klingons deify Kalis. Like, everybody wants to be exactly like Kalis. Kalis is essentially their god. He's the person mm -hmm. that they worship. Like, cults have been built up around around Kalis. Like, I think there I think there is a cult of Kalis. I'm I'm, pro I'm sure I've heard that somewhere. Probably probably in Discovery. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um. So there's that episode in season seven of of the next gen where like I don't I don't remember what the the um the festival of something, right? And like they're reenacting like the fight of Kalis defeating Molar, right? And so it's like such a big important thing in Klingon society of, you know, Kalis the unforgettable. And then like Kalis disappeared, right? One day he just disappeared and he said, See that star up there? Look for me there and I will return someday before like disappearing. Right. And that was star was was a star and the planet around that was Borath, right? And this goes back to like the the religion that you were talking about, the spiritualness, is then Borath became like one of the most sacred places in the entire Klingon Empire. And I think that's maybe, like, I don't know if it was the cult of Kalis that maybe Discovery called it. I don't know. But, like, mm -hmm. the <clears throat> essentially a monastery was built on on Borath, you know, and it was, like, a shrine to Kalis. And, and people would make, like, religious pilgrimages there to, to Borath seeking spiritual enlightenment or, or whatever, <clears throat> praying for the day when Kalis would return. And then, you know, Discovery introduced something else happening on Borath, which, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't dislike Discovery, people. Please, don't think that. I just, I mean, like, Borath became the monument to Kalis. And, and there's a, a story in Season 6 where where season six of the next generation where Worf basically loses his faith, right? Something happens to Worf and he loses right. his faith and he needs to take a leave of absence to go on his spiritual journey or his spiritual pilgrimage. And he goes to, to Borath with the monks there to pray and seek answers. And then some stuff happens while Worf is there because 
stuff always happens when Worf goes places. Exactly. Like, he <laughs> unknowingly becomes a terrorist on a vacation planet, you know. Did he unknowingly become a terrorist? I think he knew what he was doing. It's questionable. We'll go with it. Yeah. But, you know, then trouble followed Worf when he went on his spiritual pilgrimage. And then Gowron showed up and more stuff happened. And then Gowron and Worf had a falling out. Mm Mm-hmm. Right after they had been buddies for a while, now they they're not buddies anymore, and they'll become buddies later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like with with Kalos, I mean, he is seen as like the epitome, perhaps, of what it means to be a Klingon. It's he is like the model for all Klingons, really, out there, um, and how they should act, how they should condone themselves. Um, he is, he is the, he is a pillar, he is the pillar, of of Klingon society. Um, and, and the thing that I think is um, uh, kind of cool, uh, kind of interesting, like with um, with society, you know, like of course, like Kalis gets like all the credit, um, you know, as doing all these things, as uniting. Right, they that he united all the all the houses, right? Like with with uh, Klingon society up until, you know, Takuma and everything that we we experience in, in Discovery and like Laurel and everything that happens there. Um, but like he brought them all together, which is is really stinking cool. And then there's like another story, um, in Deep Space Nine. Uh, where I think it was a story regarding um, uh, like the Batleth of Kalos, if I'm the not sword mistaken. Of Ka- the Sword of Kalos. The Sword of Kalos, yeah. yeah. That's the name of the episode. And um, I think it ended up being, like, I think they found one, but it was a fake, right? Is that what it was? No, they found it, right? Was it? it, was was it um, I thought yeah, there were so, two for some reason. <clears throat> no, the way I remember it is that is that Core, Core, again, Core, our, the first, the first Klingon commander we ever see, shows up, and um, you know, at, he he go core goes to Jadzia because Jadzia used to be Curzon, who was the Federation ambassador to the Klingon Empire, who negotiated the Kittimer Accords as like mm-hmm. a kind of a retcon, right? The Kittimer Accords, of course, which were signed in Star Trek Six. Right, so it's tied it all together. It all comes together, y'all. All right, but um, core like heard a story about the location of the Sword of Kalos, and he wanted to go on a quest to find it because, because you know, Kor was old now, and he had no place in the current Klingon society because it had changed so much from Klingon society that he was very prominent in. So he was going to try to use the sword to, like, regain a place in society. Mm-hmm. And they found they found the sword, right? Um, Kor, Jadzia, and Worf went on a quest, and they found it, but they were like attacked by I don't know his name, but the son of Duras, right? Mm-hmm. Remember the son of Duras? Oh, I remember him. Yeah, little little that little wanker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were attacked by him. And eventually, like, the way I remember it is that um Worf and Kor were fighting over the sword because they each saw it as a way they could gain power. 
and it almost like they almost killed each other because of it so they decided to like lose the sword again and like throw it out into space mm-hmm. Toral Toral son Toral. of Duras yep. son of Duras that little but, wanker yeah Um, well, I guess that kind of like segues into, um, you know, like at least two other things that I kind of want to talk about. One directly connected to the show, one kind of connected. And that is while the warriors, a lot of the warriors are, are mainly men, there are, of course, female. There are, there are female um, uh, warriors that we've seen. Um, we, we see... Um, anyway, I lost my train of thought. Anyways, we see them throughout, um, I think mainly like movies onward, <coughs> more, more, more than anything. Um, but like the Duras sisters, I think, are very prominent whenever it comes to uh, female Klingons. And um, uh, of course, we have uh, Balana who's half Klingon in Voyager, and she's, like, wrestling with her her two competing heritages. There's literally an episode where she is wrestling, where her human and her her Klingon halves are fighting each other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And the fear of, like, what's it going to mean, like, with me having a kid, and I'm not going to say anything beyond that. Uh, What's it going to mean for me to have this, this child, like, with me being half Klingon, half human, and whoever I have a kid with. What's it going to mean? Like, especially with us, you know, having this kid, you know, in a remote part of the galaxy, we don't know when we're going to get home and how our our child, the child, will be accepted. So a lot of really good um, Klingon development and uh, and stuff that's going on. But the thing that, apart from Balana, I mean, we see her in a Starfleet uniform. Um but I think the thing that they that distinguishes <laughs> sorry y'all um, that distinguishes female Klingons um, the most you know in terms of like how they, they dress and stuff is there's a lot of cleavage that's being shown for, for the female Klingons yes yes like, there is very much in your face mm-hmm. that's true and that's and that is all I'm going to say about that. Um, well, I mean, I mean, yes, Lursa and Bator uh, have some very prominent cleavage. That is absolutely 100% true. But I also think they're not just there for cleavage, right? I think they have an interesting story. And I like the fact that their story is weaved through, like, a bunch of the different... I mean, we have their, their story there, the Sisters of Duras, right? And they try to take up the mantle from Duras and, you know, take the power that they rightfully think Duras should have. And then they go away for a while and they show back up on D-Space 9, right? But it's a Bajoran station, so the Federation can't touch them, right? Mm -hmm. And then they show up on another Next Generation episode in in Season 7, I think. Maybe it's in Season I think it's in season seven, but they definitely show up on another Next Generation episode before it all ties back in, and they show up in Star Trek Generations. So I think I'm I think the Duras sisters have a really nice arc there, 
as antagonists and and I I mean as much as I've seen Generations like it's my it's my favorite of the movies you know I didn't understand who they were when I saw it but now that I I know all the story the the payoff there I think is fantastic the um what's the name of the uh, female Klingon that Quark gets involved with in House of Quark. Grilka. Grilka. Okay. Um, part of the issue that's that I think happens is because it's it's warrior culture. Government is very much male focused, male only type of thing. Women are not allowed on the council. If I'm remembering, Un- unless they are, unless they are right, but I think that's that's part of the story with the Duras sisters, and that's I think part of the story with um, Grilka to a certain extent, and like why Quark comes in. Um. So, anything that you want to maybe add to that, and like. And like how these particular female Klingons kind of stand out in Klingon society and Klingon culture. Yeah, well, I, I, Klingon society is very sexist, except when it's not. I know that might sound weird, <laughs> but like, like we're we're we see, we do see Klingon women in the military, but they're never they're never like in charge of anything. They never have command of a ship. They're never the first officer. Nobody, they don't ever give orders to anybody. They're just kind of there, right? And then we see, you know, at the whole Dura situation, Gowron says, women may not serve on the council. But then, like, okay, let's go back in time now, right? Which is really forward in our universe, right? We see in Star Trek VI, I totally forget her name, but Gorkon's daughter is named the Chancellor of the Klingon Empire, which took place mm-hmm. before Galron said that chronologically. And then now we see, even before Gorkon's daughter took over, we see Lorel as the Chancellor. So I know there are people that are like, continuity error, continuity error, and who feel like it's their job to pick these things out. But, you know, it happens. That's something that is there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know... And then I said, okay, women may not serve on the council, but then Klingon society's like, you always hear them say all the time, we view women as our equals in all things. And and you hear you hear Worf say that a bunch. You hear other Klingons say that a bunch as well, that we view women as our equals. Well, do you really? <laughs> and I, I think Fair that's point. kind of like, I think that's kind of what Discovery was trying to do and in in its storyline with Lorel, as they were trying to make a commentary on that, she was somebody that was marginalized, I feel like, at the beginning, right? When we see her there as just one of Takuma's followers and she was kind of like brushed off to the side and she tried to she tried to take over leadership there, but then, you know, Core not Core, Cole, right? Cole came in. Cole from the house of Core right came in and basically you know made made a better offer to all of the like the people that Lorel was trying to lead and they all just like abandoned her 
but and so they were trying to make a point of like a marginalized female in the society then can become the ruler and then in season two they tried to show like her struggle of yes i have the position but do people really respect me right one thing that and and look i realize that it's it can get kind of like wibbly wobbly timey-wimey with some of this stuff um especially like as we go back we make prequels or we add to like we go behind in front of whatever the the established timeline of things but i mean like with laurel you know with her being considered the mother of klingons as she declares herself the mm-hmm. the chancellor right um at the what is that end of season one or is that season two i can't remember yeah she becomes the chancellor at the end of season one but she she gives herself the title mother at the beginning of season two there we go so um you know we we got to think like this is what 2250 something when this is going on with laurel and everyone in discovery at this point and i mean it's not for like another 10 ish years that like the kirk adventures start like with what we know as original series so like we're we're looking maybe 30 40 ish years maybe closer to 50 years uh, from the time of Laurel in discovery with becoming the chancellor and, and mother right of Klingons mm-hmm. to um, Gorkhan's daughter becoming a chancellor again so maybe it was like Maybe it's like, oh, yeah, well, we saw what happened with Laurel. Maybe it's time we try it again. And then after that, it's like, no, no, no go (laughs) or or something like that for for a while. I don't know. I mean, I realize that one was made in like the early 90s and one was just made a few years ago. But all things considered, I mean, it's it's worth, you know, you know, tipping your hat to and saying, hey, cool. Um, Eric, I don't know if you knew this, but. The Klingon language, right? I mean, we talked about Jimmy Dewan and his role in kind of really fleshing it out and making it kind of what it is. Did you know that the Klingon language has the most speakers of a fictional language than any other language that's been developed? I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I, I, I mean, is there, that, is there like a full elfish language or, or Tolkien language? There is. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, I called, mean, that would um, be the, that would be the only thing that I would think that could, could come close enough to it. So just a fun fact, especially for anyone that's out there, that's a, a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, Eric, you might not know this, but Tolkien was such a lover of words and language that he actually created the entire elvish language like all like pretty much all the languages that you might read about in middle earth um he created so he created the language and then he was like i need a world for this language to live in so then he wrote Mm. hobbit and lord of the rings and everything else that came afterwards so yeah i I think it's I think it's technically called Tengwar is is like one of the the elvish languages I think is what it's called but regardless of what it actually is um yeah like elvish the the stuff that Tolkien came up with very very 
um, popular. I mean, like, I mean, he, he created the whole thing for crying out loud. But, I mean, I, I have it on my phone. I mean, anyone that has a smartphone can download. Um, I'm not getting paid for this. So I know I've like dropped a couple company names on this podcast, but I'm not getting any sponsorship from it. <clears throat> Unless y'all want to sponsor <laughs> me and you're listening. I'm uh, just saying. Um, Duolingo, right? So you can download, if you do- download that, Klingon's on that. Nice. You can learn Klingon on Duolingo. And I think like there's others out there you can do too. I don't remember if there was like a Rosetta Stone like back in the day that did Klingon, but it wouldn't surprise me. But Duolingo <laughs> definitely has it. Nice. So if you want to learn Klingon and you want to learn how to pronounce that death ritual that we completely butchered, check it out. Yeah, that's cool. So I have a, I have a trivia fact for you then. Do you know okay. where the name Klingon comes from? No, I don't. No, well, there was a when Gene Roddenberry was working in the LAPD before he became uh, a writer, there was okay. a Lieutenant Wilbur Klingan, C L I N G A N, who worked with Gene Roddenberry, and that is where the name Klingon comes from. This guy Klingon. And if you notice yeah. in the original series, they kind of say Klingons. Right? They don't say cling on. Okay. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. We we've gone through quite a bit. Um and and I know there's people out there that are listening that might you know, Klingons are probably like their their favorite race in Star Trek and they're like, Why didn't you talk about that? Well, I don't know why we didn't talk about that personally. I don't know what that is, but um, <laughs> um, I mean, as as maybe as we kind of you know wrap things up and start to you know pull into to dry dock, so to speak. Um, any any other like Klingon things that maybe you can think of that are worth mentioning? You know, as we you know again pull into dry dock. Well, I just like to ask you. Well, I'll say this before I ask you the question. I think there's a really cool little arc like for the most part our you know original series tng voyager and early new space nine are are you know episodic right it's just we're telling single contained episodic stories you know deep space nine obviously changes that right um and enterprise changes it and then discovery changes it as well um and picard but you know, we're, we're episodic in nature, and there there are there isn't a lot of through line throughout the entire series. But I really think the next generation has a really cool little Klingon arc that you can that you can watch, right? And it's like I, four or five five or six episodes, right? Spread out over the course of like three seasons. But I think is really interesting if you just want to like watch this as an arc. And I would say it starts with a, a Riker centric episode where Riker goes and becomes the first officer on board a Klingon ship. The exchange program. Yeah, the exchange program, right? So Riker becomes the captain of a Klingon ship. I love love seeing Riker in the captain's chair. Like, there are these great moments when, like, he's in the captain's chair. It's so awesome, right? Can we give us more Riker in the captain's chair? Please. It starts there, and then we have the episode where we meet Kalar, right, Worf's mate, 
right? Called the em- called the emissary. Both of those are in season two. And then we have probably the quintessential wharf episode in season three, right? Sins of the Father, which you know starts out as like the exchange program, right? Now it's being reversed, right? Riker went on the Klingon ship. Now we get a Klingon that comes to our ship as like the exchange program and then the episode takes a hard left turn after the um exchange program right and then obviously you follow that up with reunion right which is where kalar comes back and which is where we meet galron and duras comes back and then that's in season four and then it culminates at the end of season four beginning of season five with the klingon civil war so it's like a little right. six-episode right. little arc there that runs across three seasons. And, you know, you don't normally think of The Next Generation as having arcs. But I think it's like a fun little thing if you just want to, like, watch this little mini-arc six episodes long. Yeah. And, and um, you know, you mentioned, um, like, this this arc that kind of is a, uh, a Riker, Worf kind of back and forth kind of thing in a way more wharf i think but um let's not forget the role that you know picard has played too as chadich which simply means second um like to speak on like to support to speak on behalf of like in terms of like making an argument it's like a almost like an attorney to an extent um is maybe like a fast and loose way of playing with that term but um, just the fact that, you know, we we talk about Kirk and his role, like, that all these captains, right? Like, Kirk and, like, what he deals with early on and, and how it culminates in what we see in um, Undiscovered Country. Um, Picard, serving as a Chadich, right? In terms of, like, all the stuff of, like, rights of succession for the Klingon Empire. How Janeway works with a half-human, half-Klingon um, engineer who also happens to be uh, formerly Maquis. So, like, a lot of dynamics going on with that. Cisco, in terms of, you know, being forward-thinking, perhaps, in asking um, Worf, who's wanting to quit Starfleet, to kind of... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm being I'm painting with broad strokes Eric so just give me a little room on this one you know like to be the one that kind of brings the Klingon situation under control and to try and get Klingons off the station because they're kind of like becoming like tribbles on Deep Space Nine for crying out loud <laughs> like they're everywhere they're everywhere you know and how Archer you know Archer I'm trying to you know thread this thing you know how Archer you know he's like the first contact like it's his first experience with a Klingon and how that like sets the trajectory for future exploration so like the role that the Klingons have played in the relationship that they've had with the captains and vice versa has been a very um, fun and rewarding thing to see and we are not doing the Klingons any justice with this discussion just with it being you know we're an hour and a half more into this and we've barely scratched the surface i mean this could be like an entire like week by week or like this could be like two months worth of like week by week discussion of klingons and we probably still wouldn't be done with it because there's just so much to it um Mm -hmm. but 
fascinating, a very fascinating and fun society that can kind of rub you the wrong way when you first meet them, but you learn to love them when it's all said and done. That's right. You do love them. Or you love to hate them. One of those two. Yeah, one of the two, just depending on where you're at. (laughs) All right. I know I'd like to ask that question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me one or maybe two. Like, if you single out one, maybe two. These are like the Klingon stories, Whether it, whatever you want. Is it the best? Is it your favorite? Is it the most important? Like, give me one or two, two at the most, stories, Klingon stories. Klingon stories. Is it, it one can or, be the best, one it can be the best, best it can be your favorite, like most important. Give me, give me your Klingon story. what I get for putting you on the spot all those times, right? That's right. Um, That's right. <laughs> got my comeuppance for my, my number one. Um, I think the first one, low-hanging fruit for me, um, I think it just has a lot of rewatch value, um, and that's Star Trek VI, Undiscovered Country. Um, it's a political story, for crying out loud. I love me a political thriller. Yep. Um, it's a culmination of the original series cast it's a culmination of the star trek movies as far as i'm concerned um and it's a really good segue even though we've ar- we had already been into next generation it's a really good thing passing of the baton unofficially uh with it and um just a lot yeah. of dynamics a lot of cool I, things I, at play and there is that like sort of passing of the baton moment from the the reunion re, re, not reunion reunification right where like mm-hmm. in the next generation, Spock mentions his role in in the whole Klingon situation, and then we see it, you know, happen on screen. It was like a month later when the movie came out. Mm-hmm. So it is that is that moment that you're talking about. I, in terms of like another one, um. It's it's a, I think it's I'm gonna I'm gonna just take Captain's prerogative on this one. Um, I think I got like maybe a tie or just a toss up with the other two, and that is going to be um, both from Deep Space Nine. Hope you're proud of that one. Uh, Trials and Tribulations or Way of the Warrior. And I'm gonna count it one and two as just one. So uh, okay, yeah, I think I think I would I think the Way of the Warrior is probably where I would have went with my, I, my, I would have first choice is definitely Star Trek six. Right. And mm-hmm. then I think I would have went with the way of the warrior. I just think that y- you always say this, like the middle of season three, of deep space nine, that's where, that's where it changes. Right. For you. And I say, it doesn't take that long, but definitely when you get to the beginning of season four of deep space nine, I think that's where it really is high quality the entire time. And the, the show definitely changes from there. And I think I don't want to credit Michael Dorn and Worf with with, you know, having the show pick up. But I do I do think he injected a little bit of energy into the show that if he wasn't there, I, I, who knows what would have happened. But I think I think I don't want to. Un- I think Worf was very important to that. And and that's just a great Klingon episode. 
right? And mm-hmm. it, it it changes the game. It introduces us to Martok. You know, Gowron comes back. There's so much storyline that just picks up from that one episode. Two episodes, technically. I, I, Two episodes. I, I, I love Martok. I, I, I mean, I, I just I enjoy his stories so much. And just the dynamic, the relationship that Worf and Martok really develop uh, throughout Deep Space Nine is just... Um, it's it's wonderful. It's it's wonderful to see unfold on screen, and um, yeah. And one thing that I've noticed, like, it's 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 gonna sound so dumb, Eric. It's gonna sound so dumb, but I've noticed that I get excited. You know, like I, I I've given it some crap about like you know, uh, Deep Space Nine doesn't get good until like the second half of of uh, season three or whatever midway point beyond um but like seriously like around the time that uh that cisco starts growing out his goatee and like changing his hairstyle i'm like okay here we go here we go and like i every time like i get i just get excited i'm like here we go here we go we got some facial hair the, the hairstyle is about to change. Things are about to get shaken up, and it's going to be cool. Pr- he gets promoted right around that same time yeah. to captain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, and yeah, at that point, like, he still has, like, the short hair, and he has, like, a goatee. And I'm like, that was a really good look. But I know Avery Brooks was, like, fighting real hard to well, get and Ira to And Iris Stephen Bear was fighting for him, too. Mm-hmm. So, but anyways, we're not talking about, about Cisco, yeah. but nope. anyway... We will but at some point. Like, well, at some point, we'll have a good conversation about Ben Cisco. We have to. We have, we to, have to at some point. Like yeah, all the, all our captains are are fantastic, and they bring something unique to to the story of Star Trek. So we'll we'll do some kind of captain summit or something. I don't know. We'll do something talking about captains. But it sounds like you and I we're on the same page when it comes to um, you know the Klingon, the two that kind of stand out the most. Mm-hmm. So. You know, honestly, if I'm being completely honest, I did not expect our conversation to take this long. If I mean, I'm being com- like, but but even you say that, but then you also said we could have talked, we could talk like two I two know, months, I right? Know. There's so much, there's so much good Klingon lore to talk about. Well, How you could probably do a podcast just called like Klingon Society, Klingons, Klingons, Klingons. right? <laughs> you know, and you could just talk about Klingon society, Klingon stories, Klingon episodes, and you could build a whole podcast around just that. Right. All right, Eric, get after that's the, it. Go that's ahead. the spin. That's the spinoff, right? That's a spinoff. Yeah. These are the Klingons. <laughs> These are the Klingons. <laughs> Keeping up with the Klingons. Keeping up with the Klingons. We got to get the name just right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh Lord. Well, you know, I I say that I didn't expect it to take this long because, you know, I didn't Eric and I we 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 never really share notes. We, we hardly ever unless we like we need to. Mm-hmm. Um that's like happened like I think once maybe. It twice. makes the conversation better when you don't share notes. Exactly. And um we kind of just talked like this is kind of what we want to you know kind of hit on touch on just a little bit in terms of like you know uh section heading so to speak and anyway here we are we're at the end of of the episode um and i had a, a wonderful time talking about klingons and just kind of parsing through it and 
there is more. And if you want us to talk more about Klingons, please let us know. Don't keep it a secret. Let me know. Um, you can tweet Eric at not really Eric on Twitter. <laughs> Just kidding. But he doesn't have a Twitter. Or hate tweet Eric, right? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to create that Twitter handle, not really Eric. I'm just going to give it to you. Here's your, here's your username. I, I mean, I'm, I'll never look at it, so, I mean, <laughs> it could exist. Like, you could just be, like, making a joke right in front of me that I don't get. <laughs> anyway, um, had, I had a great time, um, as usual, talking with you, dude. Um, always fun talking Trek with you, and um, always uh, fun, you know, having the conversation out there with the listeners, you know? So... Yep, um, always fun. The converse, but the conversation, you know, it's not just Eric and I. The conversation doesn't just stop when, you know, this recording that you're listening to ends. I mean, it continues on. So make sure that you connect with us um, in all the places. Um, we're on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at TRTVPod. Uh, you can learn more about us. You can, you know, check out our social media. Uh, send us a note. All that stuff really, really easily at trtvpod.com, where we do have merch for sale. And I'm uh, right now, if you're watching this, I'm currently rocking the um, USS Vigilant Crew shirt, which you can find on the website, and um, you can get that if you want to. Um, highly encourage it. Comes in a variety of colors. Um, you can support the show that way. You can tell your friends about it. Um, you know, share it on your socials, uh, whatever it might be. Give us a download. We appreciate it. Um, however you support the show, it means so much to us. So thank you very much for coming back and listening and telling your friends about it. Whatever you do, thank you. Um, anyways, if you want to get in, co in contact with us apart, but beyond the website, you want to send us an email or something, trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission, 817-752-4757. Just remember, there is a three-minute time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode of These Are the Voyages. Finally, if um, you believe that today is a good day to write, make sure you um, get it to us at uh, the Lone Star Station, P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas 76098. All y'all, thank you for not being a patak. And, um, and um, as we leave here to eat some gawk and drink some blood wine. That's it right there. And uh, just remember, um, as we leave here today, may you always, always, always remember to kapla and to boldly go and make it so. Mm -hmm.